Do you know the difference between an Englishman and an Irishman and a Scotsman and a Welshman? Anybody here know the difference? I'll tell you. This is your lucky day. <laughs> two Welshmen, two Scotsmen, two Irishmen, and two Englishmen were marooned on this Atlant out in the South Pacific on a little island and discovered two years later. Well, the two Scotsmen had formed a bank and were trading shells with each other. The two Welshmen had formed a choir and were singing. The two Irishmen had killed each other off in a fight. The two Englishmen were waiting to be introduced. <laughs> so have we been That's the Englishman in me. Yeah. You, yeah. you impertinent man. Speaking out in the middle of my talk. Have we met? Yeah. Who's this next to? Your neighbor? Okay. Is this your sister? How did you get her, you ugly thing? <laughs> As John F. Kennedy said, life's not fair. <laughs> well, I may be back one day, but what if I don't? What if this is it? And statistically, uh, I think you might say this is my last time, but I don't know. But one thing for sure, as I said earlier, in my old age, I want to be sure I don't waste any time, and I want to speak the way I really believe I must. So I want to read to you now from Acts chapter 19. We're going to shift gears, having spoken as I have previously on yesterday's man, today's man, tomorrow's man. I want now to read from Acts 19, verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus, over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and mastered off all of them 
and overpowered them and wounded and left them naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this is most holy and infallible word. One last time, brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be received as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent vehicle just to pass on what you once said. I would like to think that. I'd like to think that you are able to just work through me. I want that. And I invite you to come. I grant that this word will be clear, simple, life-changing, and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. The title of this sermon is the title of a book and was actually precipitated by something John Paul said to me uh, a year or two before he died. I remember saying, John Paul, I've got a sermon to preach this coming Sunday in this particular church, and I'm kind of nervous about it because I don't think it will be very popular. And he responded, Ask whether it will be popular in heaven. That's what matters. Wow, that's it. And so you could call this sermon Popular in Heaven, Famous in Hell. Many years ago, one of my old mentors, his name was Rolf Barnard, preached a sermon that uh, I've never forgotten. He called the sermon The Man who was known in hell. It's based on the passage that I've just read. Now, when you say known in hell, there's a Greek word only used once. It's 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, where it says if the angels that sinned were cast down to hell. That's the way it's translated. But the Greek word is Tartarus. It's only used once. And so the man that known in hell would be in Tartarus. I don't know much about it. Nobody knows much. But it's where the fallen angels are. And uh, so you have this amazing story about these sons of Sceva who thought casting out devils was a game. They said, this, this looks like fun. And so they go around saying, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out of him. And they found out there was no game. A demon leaped on them and wounded, and they were bleeding, and they learned their lesson. It goes to show you that the demonic is not, it's a no-joke thing. And uh, so I want to deal with this, and nothing I'm saying is original. This is, uh, the idea came from my friend Ralph Barnard. He put it this way. Jesus was famous in hell. They know about it. 
in hell, in Tartarus. Paul was famous in hell. And Rolf would say in his sermon, I want to be known in hell. And that's the way it is with me. I think you could put me under a lie detector to know whether I'm really telling the truth. But I can tell you now, I would rather be famous in hell than on this earth. I would like to think that I am a threat to the devil. I don't think I am yet. I honestly, I don't, I mean, <laughs> I'm not, it's not a cry of self-pity. I'm, I'm just saying that I don't think at this stage that the devil's worried about me. I don't think I give him a run for his money. I don't, I want to, I want to. And I can't think of anything more wonderful that before I could go home that I could make some impact where I was a threat to Satan. And if I don't, then I want to leave a word with you, challenge you that you could do that. Uh, do you want to be popular? Let me put it that way. I think uh, most people, if they're honest, would like to be popular. I think I would like to be popular. Uh, uh, you'd like to be in touch with well-connected people, popular people, well-known people. Uh, in England, there was a famous cricketer. His name was C.T. Studd. And uh, he was a mighty force for God. And here are some quotations from C.T. Studd. One, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Here's another quote. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And then one of his most famous quotes some want to live within the sound of a church or church bell. I want to run a rescue church within a yard of hell. Well, how do you get to be popular in heaven? I would like to be popular in heaven. What that means is that uh, what we do here below is uh, smiled upon in heaven. We pray the Lord's Prayer, or do you? Does anybody here pray the Lord's Prayer very often? If you don't mind, if you pray the Lord's Prayer very often, raise your hand. Several, that's good. My wife and I pray it every day. Every day, every day, every day. And when our grandsons are present, I will have Timothy. Lead us in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Louise and I pray it every day. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? Well, in heaven, there's no rebellion. There's no sin. There's no one that speaks against God. 
They rejoice in the truth. There's no evil. And so, we want God's will for us on earth to be just as it is in heaven. That the, there's no rebellion on our part. That whatever he wants for us, we say yes, yes, yes. Your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. No rebellion, no arguing back. Well, the way to be popular in heaven is to do what will cause the sainted dead to rejoice. How much they know in heaven about what's going on, on earth, who knows? One of the interesting questions that we all will ask, uh, my mother is in heaven, my father is in heaven. Uh, do they know what's happened to me? I don't know. Uh, but in any case, what we want to do is that which would make the saints happy because they're glorified. There's, uh, Hebrews talks about the just of the uh, righteous made perfect. And so they would rejoice in whatever is honoring to God. And of course, the angels would rejoice uh, that is what is honorable to God. Here's what I want you to know. You could make a choice today to be popular in heaven. And here's how you do it. When you want to get your praise and affirmation and encouragement from God rather than people. John 5.44 was quoted to me by one of my mentors back in 1956. And it lodged in my heart. It's what Jesus said to the Pharisees, John 5.44. He said, how can you believe who receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from the only God? Now, this is a very interesting verse. It is the reason the Jews missed their Messiah. People ask, how, I've had people ask me, how could the Jews have missed it? It's so obvious he was their Messiah. How could they miss it? Jesus explained why. He said to them, how can you believe? Surprise, surprise, you can't. You can't believe because all you care about is praise from one another. All you care about is approval. No one breaks ranks. We're all together. We stick together. We're against Jesus. And, and, and it, it was not even on their radar screen to want the honor that comes through the only God. That should have been first. Because of the God of the Old Testament is a God of glory. They should have been the first to say, we just only want to please him. But the state of Israel at the time of the coming of Jesus, was they were so backslidden. That when they, they were so sure that when Messiah comes, that they'd know him. You could not have told a Sadducee. You could not have told a Pharisee that you will miss the Messiah. Oh, they said... When the Messiah comes, we'll know it. We'll know it. It's like some people today. I remember 
when I invited Arthur Blessed to Westminster Chapel, there was a fellow minister in London, nice man, friend, who wrote me a letter slapping me on the wrist for having Arthur Blessed. He said, RT, when revival comes to London, I'll know it. <laughs> really? You see, the Jews felt that way. When the Messiah comes, we'll be the first to know. How often had they prayed in the synagogues of Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, everywhere? Isaiah 64, Isaiah 64. Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens and come down. Oh, come down. They would read that every Sabbath. One day he came down. They missed him. They missed him. How could they miss him? Because they were not wanting the honor of God. And you see, for the exact same reason, if you're not careful, you think when revival comes to Austin, Texas, I'll know it. When revival comes to America, I'll know it. And people so self-righteous are so sure that they would recognize when God shows up. And the Holy Spirit can show up right in front of your eyes and you miss it because your heart is not one that just wants the honor and glory of God. You only want that which will make you feel better. Here's a hard question. I don't mean to be unfair, but forgive me. Um, what's the name of that church two doors down? Living Hills. Living Hills. Okay. I, living. Oh, whatever. So, T.R., you're right. I need a hearing aid. River. River in the hills. Okay, you pray for revival to come here. What if revival came there? You'd be a little disappointed, wouldn't you? Come on, tell the truth. <laughs> you see, at Westminster Chapel, we had a prayer covenant. About 300 people signed it to pray every day, quote, we pray for the manifestation of God's glory in our midst, along with an ever-increasing open in us to the way God chooses to manifest his glory. And I, the reason I prayed that way, and want to pray that way, is because Westminster Chapel uh, is a very traditional church, and uh, not liturgical, but pretty orderly. And I thought, what if revival comes like it did to Cane Ridge in 1801 in Kentucky, when one Sunday morning, a Methodist lay preacher stood on the fallen tree truck and quoted from 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the things done in the body, whether good or bad. As he began to preach, people began to fall to the ground. Nobody pushed them. Nobody prayed for them. They just fell. They reckoned there were 15,000 people there. 
For the next four days, there were no fewer than 500 on the ground. They thought they were dead. They couldn't even get a pulse, pulse beat, maybe one beat a minute. Then they'd come out shouting, and others would fall. It lasted four days. It's the reason there's a Bible Belt in America. It goes back to the Cane Ridge Revival. But you talk about disorderly. Whew. And I thought, <laughs> if that came to Westminster Chapel? But that's why I had him pray that prayer. And if you put me under a lie detector, I thought if revival comes to London, it'll come to us. We're the ones who paid a price. I'd put my ministry on the line. I was out on the streets witnessing. We just changed everything in the chapel. We were willing to just go out on a limb and do all kinds of things. And we lost the support of fellow Reformed churches all over Britain. We were out there alone. And if the revival comes to London, it'll come to us. It came to another church, Holy Trinity Brompton, an Anglican church. <laughs> When I first heard about it, I said, well, that can't be God. <laughs> Everybody knows the Church of England is apostate. And these posh Brits, Etonians with their posh accents, you know, God wouldn't do that. I felt betrayed. But I was wrong. I had to climb down. Having warned the people against it publicly, I said, I, I'm wrong. God's at work in that church. You see, so often we say we want the glory of God. See, when we get to heaven, that's all that will matter. Here on earth, we think of ourselves. But when we're in heaven, you just, wherever God wants to work, however he wants to do it. And may God give us the kind of love for his glory that, of course, you will always like it to come here. And I still hope that God is going to use me. But maybe he will use somebody else. Maybe I won't have my dream fulfilled. Because when I get to heaven, it won't matter that much. Right now, it matters. Then it won't. And so a love for the glory of God is just a love for whatever pleases him. Now, you make a choice then. Uh, let me just say five things you must Make a choice if you want to be popular in heaven. I'll just mention them and, and move on. A choice regarding sex, money, pride, grumbling, unbelief. I will need to say one thing. When it comes to sex, that means that you resist Sex outside of heterosexual marriage. You resist temptation. It's only a matter of time that every Christian will be tempted sexually. Joseph couldn't have known that when he was working for Potiphar that he was being tested. Joseph didn't know he'd been earmarked for greatness. He'd be the future prime minister of Egypt. He couldn't have known that. Potiphar's wife began to flirt with him. And he said, no. And she said, go to bed with me. No, go to bed with me. And for doing the right thing by resisting her, 
Joseph is in prison. You can imagine Joseph saying, thanks a lot. I do the right thing, Lord. But you see, one day, he became prime minister of Egypt. And if you're tomorrow's men or women, you are going to be tempted at sexual level, money. The love of money is the root of all evil. Pride, you make a choice. Do you want man's approval or are you willing for only God's approval? Grumbling as opposed to being grateful. It's the thing that will stop you from murmuring is to become a thankful person. And then unbelief, instead of accusing God when things go wrong, you can be like Job. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, we're, I'm talking about making a choice. If you want to be popular in heaven, you can be. I can tell you right now, everybody's invitation to everybody here, be popular in heaven. And I've given you five suggestions how to do it. But then our social sins, abortions. God hates it. I'm telling you, God hates abortion. Racism. Have you any idea? I don't think most white Christians have a clue how much God hates racism. Pornography. A recent statistic, I don't know how they came up with it, and I don't know if it's factual, but I'll tell you what the statistic said, that 68% of Christians watch pornography. And same-sex marriage. You say, well, why is that so important? You're against it. Because of the nature and image of God. He made humankind male and female. Heterosexual marriage was his plan. And you see, the world is against the God of the Bible. And so this is the way to become popular in heaven. But now let me move on. Famous in hell. As my old mentor put it, I want to be known in hell. Uh, I would have thought the greatest compliment that the Apostle Paul ever got was when the demon cried out, we know about Jesus. We know Paul. Who are you? I would have thought the greatest compliment Paul ever got was from the devil. You may compliment him. Oh, well, look, you wrote Romans. You wrote Galatians. <laughs> you wrote Ephesians. You're a great missionary. You're an apostle. But to think that, uh, that in hell they know about Paul, that shows you what Paul was doing. He was a threat to the devil. And that's why I would love to think that before I go to heaven, that God would use me in such a way that I was a threat to Satan. I don't think I am. Not yet. 
And as I said, we're talking about the Greek word Tartarus. It's where the fallen angels are right now. See, the fallen angels, they hate God. They hate Jesus. They hate those that are covered by the blood of Jesus. And so, the reason I pray for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus partly goes back to the man that I was named after. My father, as I told you earlier, named me after his favorite preacher, R.T. Williams. And R.T. Williams would ordain people to the ministry, and he would say to them two things. Honor the blood and honor the Holy Ghost. That's word and spirit. That's my DNA. That's what I, that's me. My program in England, they called it, I was glad they did. I didn't know they would do it. They called it word and spirit. I'm on three times a week. That's my program. So far in America, the TBN over here, not so interested in me. I'm more popular in Britain than I am over here. I'm, that happens to be true. I mean, not that I'm famous in England, nothing like that, but the Brits like me more than Americans, apparently, or at least the TV people. The point is, it matters whether what we're doing brings together word and spirit. And this is part of my legacy. Now, you've heard this before, and some of you read my book. But let me take a couple minutes to put my position. It seems to me that there has been a silent divorce in the church, speaking generally between the word and the spirit. Now, when there's a divorce, sometimes the children stay with the mother, sometimes the children stay with the father. Well, in this divorce, you've got those on the word side and those on the spirit side. What's the difference? We'll take those on the word side. The message is clear. Earnestly contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints. Know your Bible. Know your doctrine. Get back to justification by faith. Sovereignty of God. Until we get back to expository preaching and knowing your doctrine, the honor of God's name will not be restored. What's wrong with that emphasis? Nothing. It's exactly right. Take those on the spirit side. What's the emphasis? Well, we need to get back to the book of Acts. Signs, wonders, miracles. Gifts of the spirit in operation. When they had a prayer meeting, the place was shaken. Get into Peter's shadow, you're healed. Light of the Holy Spirit, struck dead on the spot. And until we have power like that, the honor of God's name will not be restored. What's wrong with that emphasis? Nothing. It's exactly right. But it seems to me, bear with me, this is my opinion, it's one or the other, wherever you go. You go into a church that's a word church, you can tell it in 10 seconds. Go into a spirit church, you can tell it in 10 seconds. To find a church where they're equally enamored with the word and spirit, 
which I believe that's your goal. I, I don't think you'd have me here if it wasn't your goal. Whether you're that, I, I don't know. I, I have to be around a while. I was preaching at church in Chicago, and the minister said to me, are we a word church or a spirit church? I said, well, I, I would say you're a spirit church. Oh, thought we'd be word. I said, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> They haven't had me back there either. <laughs> but the point is, to have such high regard for the Word and for the immediate witness of the Spirit and have equal, it's not one or the other, it's both. It's my view that the simultaneous combination of Word and Spirit would result in spontaneous combustion. And true revival would come, where we honor the scriptures, but equally are open to all the gifts of the Spirit and so forth. Um, at the first Word and Spirit conference held in 1992 in Wembley Conference Center, I made a statement. I preached for about 35 or 40 minutes, in which I said, there were about 2,500 people there, first Word and Spirit conference. Paul Kane recently died, and I were the speakers. He was to represent the Spirit, I was to be, represent the Word, but we're trying to get them, the two together. But then I made this statement that Abraham sincerely believed for 13 years that Ishmael was the promised son. You see, God said to Abraham, count the stars. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Start over. One, two, three, four. <laughs> he said, I can't count them. God said, well, so will your seed be. Abraham at that time was an old man. His wife was an old woman. And he could have said, God, you don't expect me to believe that. You've got to be joking. But you know what? He believed it. He believed it. And God says, for that, I count you righteous. And that became the Apostle Paul's Exhibit A for justification by faith. And so, but then after several years, Sarah wasn't getting pregnant. And uh, so Abraham thought, I better help make good the promise. He believed the promise, but he thought he had to make it happen. And so what happened was that he slept with Hagar. It was Sarah's idea, not a good idea, but he did. Ishmael was born. It wasn't what Abraham expected, not what he particularly wanted. But he thought, oh, this must be God's way. And so when Ishmael was born, he thought, oh, this is it, the promise. And for 13 years, he was content with Ishmael. And then, lo and behold, out of the blue, God said, Abraham, Ishmael is not it. Sarah will conceive. You would have thought Abraham would jump up and down with joy. He said, no, please. 
Genesis 17. Oh, that Ishmael would live before you. He wanted Ishmael to be. He, he was content with Ishmael. That's what he wanted. No, nope. Sarah will conceive. And he had to adjust. It wasn't easy for him. Well, that was the basis of my talk at Wembley Conference Center. But then I dropped a bomb. I said, the charismatic movement is Ishmael. Charismatics have believed for years, we are it. We are the last day ministries before the last day, before Jesus comes. I can understand why they would believe that. But then I just said, they're Ishmael. This is not it. Isaac is coming. And as the promise concerning Isaac, vis-a-vis -vis Ishmael, was a hundred times greater, so will the next move of God be the greatest in the history of the church. Eclipse everything. Now, I thought that people would stand and applaud. <laughs> they didn't like it. The best known charismatic leaders, they were angry. You call us Ishmael. I said, yeah, but Isaac's coming. Never mind. <laughs> they wanted to be them, just like Abraham wanted to be Ishmael. I understood that. But I said, something better is happening. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Well, that was several years ago. Let's see, how long was it? 1991, 10. It's over 30 years ago, there's been a shift. Many charismatic leaders are now saying, RT, hope you are right. Because if what we have is all there is, we're in pretty bad shape. And so I believe that we need to bring the word and spirit together. And don't be surprised that something greater than anything we've ever seen. And we must be careful that we don't come be so enamored with our own view and taking ourselves so seriously. But I want to close now by showing how to be famous in hell. I'm going to tell you three ways to be famous in hell. Number one, when you have power to heal and authority to cast out devils, you'll be famous in hell. RT, where do you get that? All because it says that they brought handkerchiefs and aprons and from the hands of Saul, and uh, evil spirits left them. You see, this is what got upset the, the devil. The devil didn't like this. In other words, casting out devils, healing, that will make you popular in heaven and famous in hell. You say, well, I can't help it. I don't have that gift. Ask for it. 1 Corinthians 12, last verse, covet earnestly the best gifts. If you don't have the gift of healing, ask for it. If you don't have the gift of miracles, ask for it. Amen. Second, preaching against sin and wickedness in high places, whatever it takes. It cost John the Baptist his life when he pointed out the adultery of Herod. He lost his head over it. 
So be willing to take a stand against sin, wickedness in high places. And finally, you want me to tell you how to make be famous in hell? If you're a soul winner. If you're a soul winner. You see, when you go into Satan's territory, talk to the lost. The God of this world is blind to the minds of those that don't believe. And you become a soul winner. If all of you would become soul winners and start talking to the lost about Jesus wherever you go, if I were to come back a year from now, your new building won't even hold the people. When's the last time you led a soul to Jesus? You say, well, that's Marco's job. Really? Not yours? Are you ashamed of Jesus? A month after I went to Westminster Chapel, I asked the question, how many of you out there have never led a soul to Jesus Christ. It went real quiet. One deacon, his name Bob George, told me, he said, you shook me rigid when you said that. Here I, here I am, 60 years old. I've never led a soul to Jesus. He felt so ashamed. Well, as it happened, that I invited Arthur Blessed to speak, and he stayed with us for six Sundays in a row. He got us out on the streets witnessing to the lost. We started the pilot light ministry. The first to volunteer to do it was Bob George, that 60-year-old deacon. He made up for lost time. The last time I asked you, how many of you said to the Lord, uh, led to the Lord? Are you ready for this? 500. Some of them said, well, are they all saved? Some of them were. One of them went into the Anglican ministry. I guess you have to be saved to be an Anglican. <laughs> there were many. My word. That's it. Heavenly Father, take the three messages of the day, apply them by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.